Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and I cannot wait for you to hear my conversation today with someone who is incredibly inspiring. She talks about her journey from being a Somali immigrant in Seattle to her modeling career in New York City, her gorgeous cookbook that was named one of the best cookbooks of the year by The New Yorker. She's a Somali cook, food journalist, and cookbook author who you can find in the new cooking channel show, Spice of Life. Let's welcome Hawa Hassan. Hawa, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I am well, and I am pretty warm here in New York. <laughs> yes, it is. It is toasty. Uh, for those listening who don't know, you are a Somali immigrant from Seattle. And I'm curious how that move to the U.S. really shaped your point of view on food and cooking and, and the career that you've built for yourself. Ooh, I mean... I think for a very long time, I felt very other growing up in Seattle. You know, maybe the first three years of my life, I knew I was really different from everyone around me. It wasn't until I got to middle school, I had a sense of my Africanness because for so long, I was just a Somali girl from, you know, by way of Kenya living in Seattle. But once I got into middle school and met, a you know, a larger community from East Africa, that's when I felt more at home. But the place that has really taught me about my roots and brought me back to myself the most really has been New York because it's such a melting pot. And more than just the continent of Africa, it's been, you know, I've met Korean people who have similar stories to me. I've met Cambodian people who have similar stories to me. And so that for me makes me feel like I'm part of a larger group of people, if that makes sense. But in Seattle, for a while there, it was really isolating. And then it felt like home. And now to me, New York feels like the base of who I am. It, it seems from, you know, just kind of reading about all of your your interests and, and everything that telling those stories is really important to you. Why is that? I think telling stories is really important to me because it's so obvious to me that we're a lot more alike than we are not. And I think that the fastest way to get to that point is to point out our similarities and not our differences. And my medium just happens to be food. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a really beautiful way to look at it and present it. I know as a teenager, you, you'd you also started modeling and, and ultimately decided that that was not for you. Why, what, <laughs> why was that? And what made that, that switch to food for you? I always get into things with an end goal. Okay. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> you know, I like when I move into a new place, I'm like, okay, how long can you see yourself here? Same is true with like even the relationships I have in my life. It's like, this is a forever best friend. This is, you know, a, a neighborhood friend, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I think that comes from like the way I grew up and needing to always have a plan for myself and creating structures since I didn't have any. But I got into modeling thinking that in my mid-20s, I would become an ambassador for people who had inadequate support systems, displaced people. Mm. So I thought I would go back to college or maybe modeling would propel me into a space that would allow that for me. And it wasn't until 2014 when I went to Norway and I, you know, I was like complaining to my mom about just how out of place I felt in modeling and how I wasn't using my full self 
that I realized, okay, it's time to go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this, this pivot that I had in mind was never going to come unless I forced it. And so I feel what I'm doing now in the way that I bring myself to work in the way that I share, you know, almost all of my experiences really speaks to who I am and what I've always wanted to do, even when I was modeling. And you said in 2014, it was when you kind of had this realization and that that was when you founded, you know, your company, Best Best, right? Is that, am I mm-hmm. saying it correctly? Absolutely. So it's, a, it's a sauce and condiment company. Um, it's inspired by your Somali roots. In fact, it translates to chili in Somali, right? That's right. That's so cool. Uh, well, I mean, everything from like tamarind date sauce, coconut cilantro, chutney. I mean, everything sounds very mouthwatering, flavorful. Uh, what was the process kind of developing and perfecting these recipes and then making them, you know, scalable for for retail? I, I would say the probably the number one thing that got me to even the process was my naiveness. The fact that I thought I could okay. even do it. <laughs> Sometimes that's <Right>. helpful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that really propelled me into like, okay, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say, you know, the very first thing I did was I left New York. So when I was in Norway, mm. I I'd had this... For once in my life, I had this place where I felt very taken care of and I felt really coddled, actually. And I hadn't felt that in a very long time. So I had space to just think and be. And so the idea... That part, I think, was the very first part of the process for me. And when I returned home to New York, I rented out my apartment, moved back to Seattle. And then from September of 2014 to April of 2015, all I did was just make samples for people. So that like feedback for me was really important. And then the next big thing I did for myself is I used all of the connections and the friends I made while modeling. And I called people up Mm. and I said, this is what I'm doing. Here's my business plan. Here's some samples. And one thing led to another. We got into Whole Foods. I was introduced to a commercial kitchen, which helped me scale. Then I became a bit of a scientist because I (laughs) learned about pH and I learned about water and the way that it shows up in pH. I learned about, you know, things I could use to make foods that were whole. I think finding a mentor, finding a kitchen that could help me scale, really understanding my market and my products, um, and then really having an idea about how to expand and how I would then show up in the food industry in order to have these conversations about not only my condiments, but kind of being an ambassador uh, from, you know, for foods from the continent that I think all of that coupled with is what got us to this point. What has the feedback been like, you know, over the course of this, you know, this seven year company, you know, growing and learning and changing and succeeding? Um, you know, Jamie, I, I, I mean, Best Best has like a fan base like no other. But I don't really spend a lot of time on feedback. I just try to like, I have tunnel vision. I I know the one thing that I have now is security and that I could pay my bills in ways I couldn't, you know, (laughs) for, for the years past. But mainly a lot of support. You know, I think that the market is so ripe for foods from other places. You know, I think we were in a situation for four years where people were just trying to get to good feel stories and by any means necessary. So it just was the right time. But from what I've seen, and I think the way that the company has grown is just people wanting to have experiences through food. 
I think that's a, a great way to say it. Can we expect any additions to the best, best lineup anytime soon? Absolutely. I've been saying this for some time, but now we have the right team and kitchen in place. We have five more products coming. Wow. And they will be on shelves before Christmas. <laughs> That's so exciting. Congratulations. Also, uh, congratulations in order for your beautiful cookbook, which followed your condiment line. It's called In Bibi's Kitchen, The Recipes and Stories of Grandmothers from the Eight African Countries That Touched the Indian Ocean. It was released last year. Definitely, I think at a time when we, we kind of all were craving, you know, connection and community a lot. What was your inspiration behind the cookbook? I think it was along the lines of the condiments. I really wanted to see myself in this space and I wanted to see myself reflected in the space. And because I couldn't see that, I just created it. I know I'm saying it a lot easier than it sounds. I'm sure if anyone here has written a cookbook, they know what a daunting test that is. (laughs) But the main goal was just to write about home and to write from a variety of different countries through matriarchies because we all have a BB um, if we're lucky. And so I just thought what a better way to get to the actual issue than through this channel. And, you know, it's, it's I can make condiments and sell them, but I absolutely love teaching people how to make these foods. It's interesting that, you know, why do you think it was important and a good way for you to do it, to do the the sauce line, the condiment line first, and then introduce the cookbook to people? So I had a plan. So this was in the business plan that I wrote in 2015. All of this was in there. I knew with the background I have and the people that I come from, it wasn't going to be an easy task for me to get to traditional funding. And so instead of building deeper, I decided to build wider. And so for me, the cookbook was not only a marketing tool for the condiments, but also a connecting point to these foods, right? So now I have the space to bring about any condiment from the continent because I've done the work, I've studied, I've traveled, I've met people, um, I've been of service. So the, the book is really, kind of, it, it was it was exactly what I knew I needed to see in the world. And, you know, from the emails I get from people, it seems that's a connecting point for them. But it's it was all lined up. It was book or condiments, book, show, more condiments. <laughs> Exit. <laughs> I, I love how focused, how deliberate and how how much you just, you know, you execute on all of that. You had a plan and you're following that plan. And it's it, it seems to be working out pretty well for you so far. I love that the book, you know, really feels like a kind of a tribute to the matriarchs of food, the women behind these recipes that you love so much. How did their stories kind of affect how you approach cooking today and how you approached writing this book? You know, I think before I wrote the book, there was a part of me that felt there was even a time where I was trying to gather money to go to culinary school because this is a country that tells you you need to be a professional at something in order to be at the table. And so I was like, well, in order for me to become a part of this community, then I have to go to culinary school, even though I'm really comfortable cooking and I've been doing it my whole life. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they really validated my my thoughts around all of that. You know, food is mm-hmm. meant to be communal. Food is meant to be shared and made with love. Food is not meant to be perfection on a plate. I, I love perfection on a plate, but, you know, I... I think I was letting all of these visuals I was receiving from magazines and Instagrams and these bright photos kind of almost make me feel as if 
what I wasn't bringing to the table wasn't professional enough. And what I learned from these people is the best teachers are the ones who are of service to other people and who make themselves available and who cook from a place of love. And so that's what I really learned was that the kitchen is a sanctuary. And when you come into it, you bring your best attitude and you do the best that you can. I think that's uh, completely you know, reflected in the book. The subjects are women. Um, so was the photographer who... <laughs> By the way, I did a phenomenal job. My boyfriend's a photographer. Mm -hmm. I, I can't wait to show him some of these images. They are incredible. And especially the cover image, I think it just really draws you in. What led you to selecting that particular photographer? It's so funny. I have an email. The original cover that my team wanted was my hands pulling apart bread that ended up being a sabaya, which is like a chapati in Somali. And I was in El Salvador doing research for my next book. And I was like, no, this is not this is not the cover. <laughs> um, I said what I really wanted was intergenerational. I wanted travel. I wanted people to look at the book and see themselves, their grandmothers, their mothers. And so there's a lot in the book that is small but mighty to me. Like there's henna, there's a hijab dripping, there's cardamom, you know, being broken open, cardamom pots. So that to me felt much more reflective of what's inside the book as opposed to like my hands with the same nail polish I wear all the time. <laughs> Is that your signature? You wear that every yeah. single every time yeah. you go to the nail place or do you do no, your own? Every single time I go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know what you want and you, you go after it. That's the theme I'm gathering from our conversation so far. I'm so happy to hear this because I don't always feel that way. So thank you. If somebody is, you know, looking through this cookbook and deciding maybe what they want to cook, what are some pantry staples that they might need to to really kind of dive into some of these flavors and recipes? I think just reading the, you know, the spice introductions. So basic earthy spices like cumin, cardamom, turmeric, cinnamon, cloves, paprika, like th those things to me are... Like, I always say, if you could build your pantry, then you could cook anything in the world. Mm. So and those are staples in my home. If there was one recipe that you would single out for somebody to like try first or maybe your favorite, what what would you say? I would say the beef suqar. It's made with chuck beef, um, you know, just a, 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 a an onion, cumin, turmeric. Uh, just a tad bit of water and it gets brothy and tender very quick. It all comes together with six ingredients or less in under like 30 minutes. Oh, wow. All right. That sounds like a good one for, for people to kind of get their intro. Is there another cookbook on the horizon? Is that part of the, the business plan? Yeah, well, I, I think I'm kind of done with the business plan now that we have a team. I think that I'm, okay. you know, there's Hawa and then there's the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have another cookbook coming that is based on eight countries that have experienced civil war and displacement and what that does mm -hmm. to food. And it's examining it from the lens of people and their food. So it's kind of returning agency to places like El Salvador and, you know, what happens when a country goes to war over farmland. We talk about Afghanistan, Libya, Liberia. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is something that you lived through um, yourself. I mean, why was that an important you know, topic for you to kind of explore through food? I think the, the biggest thing that I want to do 
is bring my full self to this industry. I think what I can offer is a unique perspective. And so, you know, in three years, my perspective might be that I'm a mom of a newborn baby who has a global taste. You know, I don't know. Or they might only like to eat bananas. And I'll write about that, (laughs) which will be painful for me. (laughs) But I, I really just want to use all of me in my work. Um, and I and I want my work to be informed by the person that I am today and hopefully who I hope to become. And so that's that's why civil war, because I've lived through a civil war that then widens the lens for me. Right. Because now I get to go in Afghanistan and learn about the people of of Afghanistan through food. Have you already gone or is this still in the planning stages? Okay. This coming year. Oh, that's so exciting. I cannot (laughs) wait to to see that. I think that that is going to be um, super impactful. And it it seems like that kind of is a a common theme as well. You know, you can really see like your deep appreciation for your heritage, for others. What what would you say defines, you know, kind of quintessential East African cuisine and and how you highlight that? I think the Indian Ocean. Mm. Um, I think the Indian Ocean and the spice trade is what defines cuisines from that part of the world. And so if you've eaten Indian food, you know, at any point in your life, then you should feel very familiar and at ease with cooking foods from East Africa. Hmm. Do you think that there's any like misconceptions about that cuisine or things that people, you know, maybe not realize kind of originated there? Yeah, I think there's a ton of misconceptions about food in Africa. I think there's a misconception that there's lack of food. You know, it's like a well-resourced place in terms of like natural, it's nature and it's in the way that things grow there. So there, there isn't, you know, it might be lacking resources in other ways, but it's not lacking in that way. I would say people think that Africa is monolithic. Uh, they think that its foods are carb heavy and hard to make where, you know, in parts of the world like Africa, there people maybe eat carb heavy, but they also don't eat a meat diet mm. in some parts of Africa, I should say. So there's right. a, like the book is mainly vegetarian. Coming up next, we talk all about Hawa's cooking channel show, Spice of Life, and her Food Network digital series, Hawa at Home. So stick around. Well, we are here on uh, Food Network Obsessed, so we do want to talk about your new show, Spice of Life, on Cooking Channel, which is really, you know, bringing together the the flavors, the people behind them. A lot of the things that we've been talking about here in this conversation about your life and, and the work that you've been doing, and it's kind of coming to life now on, on the television screen. You, you visit chefs, home cooks in their kitchens on this show. Can you tell us a little bit more about the format of the show and kind of how you brought this vision um, to be? Well, I had a lot of help help from the people at Food Network, Courtney and Steven and Kate. But the idea around the show is that I end up traveling to restaurants to meet experienced home cooks and chefs to talk about tradition and how that is shaped by food. And then I go home and I do like a house take. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think that's fun, though, because I mean, especially I, I love watching you kind of go into these kitchens because you you really do have this, I guess, like a humble approach. You you want to listen. You want to learn. I mean, you you obviously know your stuff, but there's still so much that you want to learn as well. What what is the greatest lesson that you've learned so far from your time on the show? Oh, I think from Chef Hema. So I've, I've met two chefs so far, Chef Hema and Chef Gannett. Uh, both who are very far apart in the age, in their age range. Mm-hmm. 
The thing that I learned from Chef Hema was how just changing a few ingredients to a traditional recipe can bring together a whole community in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, um, he has a restaurant where people come to order bowls, which is traditionally what he's making is suya. It's street food and, you know, what people grab out lunch break in his home country of Nigeria. And here he's turned it into almost like a chipotle bowl, Mm -hmm. right? So to me, like the innovation there is so eye opening and I'm wowed by his entrepreneurial skills and and just his depth of knowledge. And then with Chef Gannett, her life experience and how that has shaped her life here in the U.S., whether it's her past life as a U.N. worker, whether it's running this restaurant in Brooklyn for 20 plus years, raising her children and grandchildren there, still working at her age. And then just her humbleness and the experience in which she brings to the kitchen every day. And, you know, when I was at, I think there are a lot of misconceptions that like if African food is being made at a restaurant, a certain type of person is making it. It was, it was interesting to see the the variety of people she trained to cook like her. Hmm. And I thought that was, you know, I thought that was mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, and as you mentioned, you kind of take these experiences, these these lessons that you learn in their kitchens, kind of take it home, put maybe a, a little bit of a, a modern lens on it. How do you make a recipe more modern or just kind of give it your own your own twist and, and that kind of thing? I usually start with what I have. So like there's a dorowat, which is a a classic chicken stew in Ethiopian Eritrea that's made with chicken drums that Chef Workye taught me to make at Gannett Restaurant. When I came home, I used halibut hmm. because that's what I had on hand. And that for me is easier to make than to have like, you know, heavy meat or just meat, period. Like I don't spend a lot of time eating beef or chicken. Hmm. So I used what I had, uh, but I still used the spices that I learned from her. So I used... I didn't use as much barbare as her, but I used barbare, which is an essential spice and the backbone of a lot of the cuisine from Ethiopia and Eritrea. So just things like that. I think it's like tweaking things. You know, if if something is made with a certain type of vegetable, using what you have on hand, but then maybe not calling it dodo what, mm-hmm. right? Have you come across recipes that maybe are are so good or so traditional that, you know, changing them would just seem wrong and you kind of just leave them as they are? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like Somalis eat liver for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not that I wake up craving liver, <laughs> but I, you know, if my mom was visiting, I'm not going to not put the cumin or the cardamom in the liver and just put just salt and pepper, right? Like she likes it a certain way. She likes it with onions and green bell pepper and she likes it in small bites and she likes it with cumin and cardamom and, you know, cloves. And so I would take a backseat to her in that, right? The same is true for when you're making flatbreads and things like that. I think there's some flatbreads I've played around with where I've added cilantro or I've added sea salt that would show up on the bread once it's finished or I've turned it into a different color and made it turmeric. But if I were cooking it for people at home, I don't know that I would need to tailor it. You know, you talk about a lot about, you know, the different spices and and how unique they are to maybe the, the region or the country that they come from. And that's kind of really highlighted in the show. Uh, when you are, you know, kind of taking those home to your own kitchen, are you making your own spice blends or are you buying them or maybe a little bit of both? There was a time where I spent a lot of time making my own spice blends. But now I go to Shahadi's. 
<laughs> I picked them up. <laughs> <laughs> the convenience and, factor is there. And I'm thankful that they have hawaj, which is a Somali spice that is also used in places like Yemen and in, North, in Northern Africa. So I'm just happy to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the honesty. I like, you know, the, the people can feel like it's, it's okay to just go buy the, the spice blend instead of feeling like you have Simplicity to. Simplicity is my mantra. <laughs> do not make things harder for yourself than they need to be. But you do need to get, I mean, if you're going to use, if you're going to make your own spices, get them whole, get them fresh, look at the expiration date, you know. Very important, definitely. Get them from a place you trust. <laughs> so you know that they're they're getting them in frequently and people are buying them. And, and like you said, they're very, very fresh. Well, you do highlight a, a couple of amazing looking spots in New York on the show. Um, aside from those, or maybe including those, what are some of your favorite places to experience authentic, you know, African cuisine in, in the city? I eat a lot at Yemen Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> what do you but get there? Then the, Oh, I get their rice. I get a lot of the stews. I get the lamb stews. I get the flatbreads. I recently ordered a salad from there. I'm not really sure why I did that, but it was so good. And it was like a plain salad with just lettuce and cucumbers and red onion. But it was really good and fresh. And it reminded me of a Somali salad. <laughs> what And what is this? What, what's the difference? And, and what is a Somali salad like? Oh, uh, it's just it's very basic just very basic. that with like a little lime juice okay and black pepper but outside of that my partner cooks a lot he's Ghanaian, and so when we're craving when he's craving home he, you know he'll make a lot of jollof rice he makes peanut soup which i actually adapt and make on the show mm. um you know he, he'll make um he'll make smoked fish oh we recently traveled to ghana right before the pandemic so i felt like with this whole year away from from the continent, it felt very good to have my cup at least full. He makes what they call red red, which is sweet plantains. So I get a lot of that at home here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you you are living in a restaurant that uh, is putting out delicious food. How how did you two meet? Oh, oh, this is so good. We good met at, <laughs> we met at Dumbo House in Brooklyn. I'm not always nice. fancy, but before the pandy, I used to work out of there. Oh, nice. Yes. I've, I've worked there uh, out of there a couple of times as well. Not as much recently. It's um, nice, right? It makes you feel yeah. like an adult. It does. You know, you can go. Sometimes you get more done because you can like get out of the house and you're it feels like you're somewhere else and you have maybe a time limit. Who approached who? Did you did you talk to him first or did he? Oh, yeah. So it was a Saturday. I'm not really sure why I was there on a Saturday working, but he also was working and I have rose water that I use often. I'll show it to you because I have it right here. <laughs> and I was spraying my face and he was sitting to my left. And I said, would you like some rose water? He said, sure. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> I know. And then I ran into him the next day. And he was like, we met yesterday. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you must have uh, roses or, or rose water at, at all, all all celebrations going forward, I would say. Um, but back to the show. I mean, I, I love the name as well, because I think it's very appropriate to everything you embody. But I'm curious what spice of life really means to you personally. Uh, it means family. It means friends. I like to call myself spicy and curious, but Really, I think the thing that drives me the most is how to get to from one place to the next as quickly and as peacefully as possible. 
So a little bit of spice for me is peace. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? fine. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, spice of life for me is, it really is friends and family and a round table where people can be at and just a, a life well lived. Uh, you also have a digital series, How at Home, um, which is on Food Network, where you make your your favorite recipes from your book. You kind of explain the origin of each dish and why you love to make it at home. So what are some of the, the favorite recipes that you feature in that particular series? Oh, there's a swordfish that I make and I put the green sauce, the coconut cilantro sauce from Somalia on there. That's a personal favorite. There's also chakalaka, which is a grilled cheese sandwich from South Africa that I make. And wow. it's very nostalgic for me because I used to live in Cape Town and it instantly transports you to a barbecue in Cape Town. What else do I do on there? I do make doro. I do make beef sukar from Somalia. Um, I hate watching myself, so I haven't I haven't looked to see what <laughs> what the shows look like except for the the really? sizzles. Oh yeah, I, I can't even stand to hear myself talk. <laughs> really, I think you'll get used to that. I used to be the same way, but I I I I understand why why you feel that way. I get I don't like watching myself like in front of other like in front of friends or like I can't watch with other people. I have to watch it by myself. <laughs> yeah, no, people are like, should we have a premiere? Um, a premiere watching. I'm like, no. <laughs> You're like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Te text me your thoughts two days later <laughs> when I process my emotions. What um what's the response been like from fans? Do you, do you get any um thoughts from them? Maybe not text text messages, but you know on DMs. on on yeah DMs or, or that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think Africa's having a moment, right? Like I'm in the process of raising funds for my company right now, so I hear a lot of this from the people who are higher up and end up making these decisions ultimately. But I, it's weird because because it almost feels like the playground again. You know, like. Growing up in Seattle elementary school, I was attracted to other kids. I didn't care if they looked like me, but if they had similar experience, like if they didn't speak English, they were going to be my best friend for the school year because I didn't <laughs> speak English. And so it feels like that again, like people just feel really drawn to what I'm doing because they see themselves in it. So I get really nice messages like my mother never wrote recipes down. This is incredible to be able to have flavors of home at my fingertips. Or, you know, I waited for so long for something like this to come to life. So those kind of things make me feel like, oh, wow. I mean, what does it mean to you to to get those messages and, and be able to share, you know, this love and this this clear passion that you have for your cuisine and your culture on all of these, you know, massive platforms? Oh, that's a good question, because for me, it's not so much about the platform as it is about the impact. Right. Mm. So even if it was like on my YouTube channel, I don't have a YouTube channel, but if it was <laughs> and, and more and like 10 people saw themselves in it, I would feel great about it. It just feels to me like there's something about this moment and there's such a space to hear other people and to allow people to tell their stories from where they stand that sits well with me, you know, like that's what I'm celebrating. And I'm thankful I get to do it with Food Network, you know, um, but that's really what to me feels like the aha moment. Like, wow, a little girl from Somalia, Seattle, New York, parentless. Wow. You know, like that for me is like the big win and then getting to share it with people like myself. But I think in five years when 
things are different. You and I can talk about this and I'll say, oh, my kids think it's fun or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we, we will revisit um, in, in a few years time. But I think you said it beautifully. I think it, it is definitely something to celebrate. It is definitely a huge win for you and for so all the people that you are inspiring and and touching with your stories and your cooking it's it's very inspiring i have goosebumps for sure this has been so much fun but we are running short on time so i will finish this off with a few rapid fire questions and then we have one last question that we ask everybody here on food network obsessed so rapid fire round your go to ingredient mm, cilantro Sweet or savory? Savory. Favorite comfort food? Pasta. Okay. Most used kitchen tool? My Vitamix. <laughs> uh, favorite New York takeout? I guess I kind of already asked this earlier. I don't know if it's the same, uh, same uh, answer. Yeah, it's sushi, but sushi. mostly from Gary Gary. Okay. What music do you listen to when you're cooking? Afro beats, but I don't really listen to music when I'm cooking. I listen to crime podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't think you're alone. I know a lot of people that do. Um, favorite way to unwind or relax? Oh, uh, boxing or sitting in the sauna. Okay. I like to box as well. Um, all right. So our final question that we ask everybody here on Food Network Obsessed is what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we're talking the entire day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert if you want. So there are no rules. You can travel. Anybody could cook these for you. You can spend lots of money, no money. What, Basically, whatever you want. We just want to know what your ideal breakfast, lunch, and dinner would look like. I It would be being in the Maasai Mara with my mom at a safari lodge called Amaga. And I would torture her and make her cook. And so I would have her make <laughs> me angelo with brown sugar and tea. I would have her make me this pasta that I often crave that's called sugo. And then I would somehow figure out a way to fly us in some sushi from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds delightful. Anything for dessert? Oh, I, I'm so... You said you're a savory yeah, I'm person. I'm so basic so, when it yeah. comes to dessert. I mean, yeah. That's all right. It's your day. You can have whatever you want, as little or as much as you want. I'm pr I'm probably going to have a lot of wine, though. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, cheers to that, because that would be on my menu as well. It's been such a delight um, speaking with you and hearing your story. And I know it's not done yet. It's just getting started and can't wait to see uh, what that brings for you. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. I so enjoy getting to know Hawa and hearing more of her unique story. I cannot wait to see what the future holds for her. As for me, I will be ordering some of that tamarind date sauce ASAP. And for more of Hawa, you can catch her in Spice of Life on the Cooking Channel and in Hawa at Home on Food Network Kitchen and FoodNetwork.com. As always, thanks so much for listening and make sure you follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. So you don't miss a thing. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review. We do love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.